Today, I would like to talk about chopping down the Amazon. Chopping down the Amazon? What kind of uh, evil anti-environment person are you? I know. I hate Mother Nature. No, actually what I hate is Goliath. And I'm in fact referring to the behemoth of online sales. You mean the great innovator in logistics? Well, yes. So here's the ambiguous bit. Last time, our last episode was about capitalism and big tech. Yeah. And, and then, so- I'm just a, a reminder, I... Uh, strongly opposed to the use of the word capitalism um, because it's based upon an erroneous uh, reading of history. And um, there are various terms that could be used for various aspects of it. But it seems that capitalism now has been associated with what actually is anti-capitalism, meaning the capture of government power to support quasi-monopolies. Right. Or other strategies that actually are against competition and are against a free market. Yeah, like all the licensing requirements. Right. Yeah, so my my uh, dislike of the anti-capitalist in this sense rhetoric is that in our culture, the obvious alternative is communism, which is super duper bad and even worse. So like what you don't like about capitalism is what makes communism so extremely yeah, horrible. Because it turns out that making decisions collectively in a collective of hundreds of millions of people turns into a dictatorship within like three seconds. Yeah. And clearly Amazon is aiming for a certain kind of digital dictatorship. And that is the problem with these big tech things. But anyway, so our task here is to help people disentangle. So I read recently, and I mentioned this on the last episode too, a book called Choke Point Capitalism. Again, I I appreciate that they specify the kind of capitalism that they're criticizing and I am sold mostly like by 85% of their argument about the choke points. There's some stuff they say that I think is a little off base, but whatever. That's okay. That is within the legitimate realm of discussion. But uh, it was particularly reading about Amazon, and I think we'll probably get to Spotify at some point. That was a little painful for me. But anyway, Amazon is something that people love to hate anyhow. So I thought we could talk today about disentangling from Amazon and also why you would want to do it. Yeah, and uh, what the difficulties are. Uh, are that are involved. So I have been using Amazon for about as long as it's been around. It came started when I was in college. And I may have told the story before, but I'll tell it again. I was such a tech naive, naive, <laughs> I think that's the word, mm. when I started that um, I used to only be able to get to Amazon on the shared computer in the writing center where I worked because my own laptop. I don't know, maybe it didn't even have a browser on it at the time or something. So I learned that I could buy books there. And having never lived near amazing bookstores, this was just like dream come true for me. So anyway, I remember one day coming into work and going to amazon.com and it said, hello, Sarah. And I kid you not, I looked around the writing center for the cameras to try to figure out how they knew it was me. Right. Because not realizing that you had left behind your digital cookie crumbs. Yes, knew nothing about that then. <laughs> anyway, so I've been using Amazon forever. Right. Same uh, with the same account. Well, I don't know. Maybe I think I must have added new email addresses. Yeah, and but they it's still the same reviews, account. But I'm pretty sure it's the same account. Yeah, which means that they have records on you going back below these decades. Even Lordy, now. they must know so much about me. Yes. yes how many how many years it goes back. Also, not that long ago, but maybe a decade or more ago, I discovered that Amazon is a great place to create lists of books. And basically, I do use Amazon for other stuff, but it's always been primarily a book marketplace for me, which is how it started out. Well, I out. often use it for reference when I'm looking up something. Um, obviously, when you search on the various search engines, Amazon results for anything that's a book comes straight to the top because it's often fairly up to date. And um, 
the information is there, the reviews, etc. It's useful. It is a phenomenal catalog of books yeah. and anything you can find by ISBN. Many things that are like don't have ISBNs or are older than ISBNs. Yeah. Worldcat.org is really good if you're doing scholarly type stuff. It tells you what libraries have things. But just to find any book on the planet that has ever existed, yeah, Amazon is pretty amazing. Including all the ones amazing. that are ripoffs and knockoffs and trying to resellers and and all kinds of uh, dodgy things, too. Or they're all there, too. Right. We're not going to get into that. That is obviously a problem, but I think that would be a problem regardless of the book retailer online. I right. think that, that scamming is always going to be an issue. And Amazon is the biggest place where it happens because it's just the biggest place, period. Right. Um, but anyway, so I've also been, you know, over the years keeping lists of books that I want to buy or just like want to remember because I'm a scholar. Sometimes I collect books there. But of course, now I realize that Amazon has an extremely sophisticated view of my tastes yes, as a result. Yes. Right. I also noticed some years ago that you no longer get organic recommendations. No. Um, and I know that even if it says other customers bought so and so, maybe, probably not. No, Everything on Amazon is now played a pay pay to play right. so nothing you get well, on Amazon there are two is sides organic. of this so so the vast majority of people are using Amazon as consumers right so they're the using it to um, try to find something that they will like and I know this very well I, I I'm a person who tends towards buyer's remorse I mean I will you do like no one I've ever met <laughs> yeah so I really really hate to buy something and then have it fail me and have it not live up to my expectations, you know. And the same thing goes like restaurant meals. I like forever. I try to piece through the details and. Listener, this is why we don't go out to eat on dates. Well, also because um, Zara is an excellent uh, cook, so um, <laughs> we don't have, need to so often. But so, but in this world, of course, I'm obsessed with reviews, uh, and reviews are a rabbit hole that anybody on any topic, the most minute, can go down on. Um, and go down into, and so I get lost very easily in the reviews. But I like Amazon for that. You can look think, look at things, and if usually if you look for the middling or slightly lower reviews, they're a bit more honest. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's useful, very useful. Well, if the reviews are real, but that is also another thing that every e-tailer is going to have a problem with. Right, but actually, I found a I found a um, uh, website called Fake Spot. I think that's the name, uh, which does analysis of Amazon reviews to determine whether how accurate they may or may not be because there are bot farms and actually review armies in all over the world that just sit down and write reviews of things to make sure it gets whatever the four four and a half five stars so um, there are a number of criteria they use such as what IP addresses the reviews came from and uh, if they all cluster around certain dates so clearly somebody's just logging into a bunch of accounts and using right. stuff. So there are ways of betting these. Um, Amazon doesn't do that, but you can if you want to. Yeah. Which, which means that the the curation and spam problems will never, ever go away online, at no, least as never, long as it's no. free. Having a trustworthy, so, which actually made me realize in a way that I hadn't before, the usefulness of retail and why retail gets such a big markup. Um, is that the retailer is You mean like physical shops? Yeah, physical shops. Right. Or even an online, online shop. It's curation. You're paying for the knowledge of the person who runs the shop that they're going to be carrying objects that they are proud of and willing to stand behind. Right. But then you have the showrooming problem of people going to those shops, 
to see what they want right. and then buying them off Amazon. Yes, that is a problem. Right. Um, so anyway, I, the, I think the moral of the story, and I think people feel this more keenly after the pandemic, is if you want shops and restaurants to continue to exist, you have to patronize them. Right. So anyway, so but specifically for me and Amazon. So, of course, now I realize that Amazon is surveilling me just like everything else. And probably Amazon knows me better than anything else because I am a book-oriented person and my Amazon history is a reflection of my interests and habits over the years. So just on principle, I want to start disentangling. Right. Um, also, because we live international lives, as I've indicated, um, I'll buy physical books from all kinds of sources between you know in-person shops to various online retailers, but I've always bought ebooks since I started buying them a few years ago through Amazon right. almost exclusively. Right. And our library system has its own app or you can read in a browser uh, associated with, with the library or you can read off of Kindle. And I started doing that at your suggestion because number one, it downloads to your tablet or whatever device you use so you can read when our internet goes off at 8 or 9 p.m., as it always does. And because like you can darken the whole screen, whereas with the browser that I use, it doesn't darken the whole screen. So It's a smart convenient. It's yeah, really, it's, it's, convenient. it's convenient. And made Kindle a... is well done. And there's a reason why. You know, They have bazillions of user data and experience to work from to make an excellent product. Right. But... I have some issues now. <laughs> yeah, well, they're Amazon. learning about you. They're learning your reading speed. They're learning what you skip. They they harvest your highlights to make top highlights. Um, mm -hmm. They um, they're learning everything about the way the way you go through a book. They're, all those swipes and everything is being memorized and uploaded. Now, usually, they're not interested in you in particular. They're aggregating um, aggregating that stuff to make the user experience more compelling and right. more engaging. But the whole premise of this podcast is that even that is a theft of our uh, digital exhausts that yeah, we are trying uh, to. I think I think it it, not it feed the indicates beast. a it's of that vast cloud of behavior which we didn't know we were was valuable, which now is, and and Amazon has figured out in the retail space how to plug into that um, beha our behavior and monetize it. Right. So I did a little experiment, which you don't know about yet because I haven't told you. Oh, okay. I'm uh, gog to hear. Okay. So I have my list of books that I'm thinking about buying on Amazon because right. that's where I always keep them. Right. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to disentangle from Amazon, I should stop keeping these lists, but I should also find ways to get these books not through Amazon at all. Right. So I went through the top, say, dozen books on my right. list to see if and how I could buy them not on Amazon. So here's the result. And this is a variety of both fiction and nonfiction genres. Okay. okay. Number one, I go to the, so what I basically do is search for the author and the publisher right, right. and see if it's a, like an indie author, go directly to the author site. If it's a publisher, go directly to the publisher site. So these are simply, again, we live in international life. Um, there's not readily available English bookstores. Um, or there could be, but they're... Well, some books I don't need, I don't want to actually keep a paper copy. Books right. that I love, that I know I'll reread, that are really valuable, good for me as a scholar. So these are simply okay. books that you'd like to read and you'd like to get them not from Amazon. And, and I'm happy to have them just as ebooks. I do right. not need print right. copies of okay. any of these. So. Right. And our library system does not have, because okay. that would be my first line of attack always. Okay. So the first book, I go to the author website. All of them exclusively available at Amazon. Exclusively this available. Opted into um, Kindle Unlimited, okay. which gives the the author a, a better 
return on um, profit okay. for sales. Okay, so forget that. Number two, um, this book, this is a memoir. It's available on Kindle, iBooks, Google Play, Nook, Kobo, and Smashwords. These are all pretty standard ebook um, retailers. So Kindle is not the only option, but the other five are pretty standard Right. large conglomerations right. so they're like legit competitors right. to amazon they, they they could potentially as such pose a threat right they will also have all of the same habits of surveilling and tracking your behavior right. um i went to another nonfiction author cannot buy her book direct or any way but on amazon or the other things uh went to another this is fiction again can only buy on the standard platforms. Okay. This is um, Penguin Random House. You can buy the paperback direct from them. This is a fiction book. But for ebook, they give you links to Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Google Play Store, and Kobo. You cannot buy direct from Penguin Random House. Here is a science, a nonfiction book, ebook available. This is from Macmillan, another okay. gigantic publisher. Right. Nook, Google Play, Kindle, Kobo, ebooks.com, and iBooks. Then I looked up ebooks.com because I had never heard of it before. And actually, ebooks.com is the biggest retailer of ebooks that is not part one of one of these gigantic conglomerates. Okay. And? Um, uh, yeah, you can buy it there. Um, and how do you read these books? You buy they the have their own app. You just it's an e it's the ebooks.com e reader. So and I actually just downloaded it to my tablet. I have not tried it yet. Okay. But I just thought it was fascinating that they've been around since two thousand. Mm -hmm. They're the largest and oldest independent ebooks mm -hmm. retailer. They're and privately owned. And I've never heard of them before. Okay, well. Yeah, which is interesting. I also went to look, um, I am an indie publisher. It is not through any of the distribution channels that I use. Ebooks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so it's not it's not uh, whatever whatever the system is, it's not transparent for. I mean, you've looked you looked into this quite a bit, so I know I'm really astonished. So I'm going to have to follow up. I'm curious if it's because there's like the indie community does not like what they do at their scale, or if it's just they've been overlooked because they do partner with Ingram Spark, mm -hmm. which is people mainly use for print on demand, mm -hmm. and most indie authors do not use them for e-distribution so they seem to have an exclusive relationship with ingram as okay. an e-distributor so, all right so this is that's an okay so yeah. continue anyway um yes then i looked up this is a university press mm -hmm. curious about them again ebooks available but all through other sources so right. kindle nook they actually have a lot more um, options like jstor oxford okay. upso project muse but again they those, do not those are those are services to which universities subscribe so that their libraries and members of their research faculty can have access to them probably the that's why they have probably and then the very last one i checked before we started recording this is a work of fiction from bloomsbury you can buy the ebook direct from them oh wow so at the so. end of a search of 10 or 12 books, I finally found one publisher that sold okay. direct. Now, the question, Andre, is why aren't any of these other authors or publishers selling ebooks direct from their own site? Why do all of them refer you to Amazon and the other big conglomerates? Well, I'm going to give, I'm going to give a, a couple of answers. Okay. The first answer, I think, which you will well understand as somebody who writes and publishes as well, is that... The platforms, um, they, 
uh, have captured the market and make it reasonably easy for you to sell your things and get some money from them. And um, as a consumer, it's kind of a known place for you to go. You get the e-reader, you know, uh, Barnes & Noble sells its e-readers, sells its Nook, um, Amazon sells its Kindle, um, I think Rock 10 or Kobo. Kobo owns Kobo. Uh, so there's there's kind of ways known ways of doing things. So I think I'd say there's there's a user experience aspect to it, um, and the the flip side of that is that selling things yourself um, is not as easy. Um, it's not clear what you're doing, and probably because of copyright concerns, the publishers um, want to. Uh, outsource um, rights protection to somebody else. That would be those. Those would be my kind of initial reactions to that. They don't want to do it because they then they have to develop some digital rights management or um, in some way or another that, that, that they're concerned about that. So that is partly true what you have said, but the bigger thing basically is that Amazon has strong armed into into them only selling from Amazon. Well, you just said that though, like a bunch of them, you could only one was only from Amazon. The rest you could buy at those other places. No, all right, let me rephrase that. Amazon strong arms them not into selling direct and to forcing them to go through other portals. Okay. And so in that sense things like Google, Apple, and Amazon are definitely all colluding together in this market concentration. But it started with Amazon basically um, strong-arming down the prices of both print and ebooks, mm. And at the same time, interesting, you mentioned rights management, putting the fear of God, or at least profit loss, which is worse, into these publishers by saying, if you do not put digital rights management software protections on top of your books, they will be pirated and distributed. Mm -hmm. And of course, because an ebook, unlike a print book, is infinitely reproducible at basically no cost, the publishers early on were panicked that they would lose their entire business model. Right. In fact, what happened is that they, um, Amazon got them to create this digital rights management program. It's apparently very easy to crack. I've never tried. Um, and, um, and the argument behind it was, of course, to protect the ebook, but also it came with a gigantic legal penalty. So actually, if you crack into say an ebook you buy through Amazon and take off the digital rights management protection, mm -hmm. you can be slapped with a fine, like a huge fine, like a fifteen thousand dollar fine, or maybe it's more, I don't know, an insane amount of money for Just what for, it is. For breaking the copy protection. Right. Which is probably what they had before on like DVDs, which uh, you could buy software to very easily crack that copy protection too. You I never had a CD I couldn't copy. No, no, CDs were different. CDs didn't have rights protection on it, but DVDs did. Oh, DVDs, right, 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 right. Yeah, we've never had any trouble with that either. No, because it's, I mean, they, it's, it's just a piece of software, and as soon as they change it, somebody cracks it. So. Right. What that means for the consumer, though, so quite apart from what that does to the publishers, is that all of the ebooks that you have bought on Amazon, you do not own. They are licensed to you mm. under digital rights management. And not only licensed to you, but licensed to that account. Right. So that if you decide to, well, I don't like, I don't want to have the same account with Amazon that I've had for these many years because they've tracked me. I want to create a new one and, and erase the old one. Bye bye, books. Right. Or you and I are able to link ours because we're married to each other, right. but we can't share with our son. Yeah, because they somehow don't allow that. 
Right. Which is bizarre. Also, it means that all the books that you have bought, you cannot take out of Amazon and read in a different ecosystem. The same goes to music. So like, and this is how iTunes became so dominant is it gave people a way to quote unquote buy music on iTunes, but then they couldn't have it anywhere else, which created the the network effect or the no is that the right word the stockpiling effect that if you were to go over to a different music service that worked better because itunes is horrible and still horrible why have they never gotten this any better apple music lock in right um if you went to another service you would lose everything which is one reason which is one reason why after it became clear that you were stuck in the apple silo the streaming services took off because people realized, well, it's not worth it for me to buy things from iTunes for a dollar a song um, when I can just stream all of them from Spotify for $10 a month or $6 a month or whatever it is. Exactly, exactly. Spotify is its own issue and like I said, we'll probably get to it at some point. So anyway, the, so the whole idea of digital rights management was um, used to scare publishers but was really meant to both control them in the Amazon ecosystem and to make it difficult for consumers to go elsewhere. Yeah. So I would like to stop reading and <laughs> buying books, ebooks on Kindle right. altogether. Um, I have mixed feelings about it with the library because I can just use it to read. I'm not buying through Amazon, but then Amazon knows if this is an anti-surveillance measure. Right. But you could, in know. fact, create a separate account um, and link and just use it to read your library books. A separate what kind separate, of account? You, Google, you could create a sep- separate Amazon account and use that to read the library books, and it wouldn't be connected to your other things. I suppose. I could also just read it in the browser of the um, of the library instead of having to go to Kindle right. at all, right? right? The last time, once or I decided to stop doing lobby, this. lobby Libby uh, to use some other application besides Amazon. Yeah. Well, uh, this is also an issue because actually the library has its own app. It's called Libby. Right. Um, but my tablet is so old that it doesn't... Um, support it. Yeah, and also Libby makes it difficult to th- things like export your highlights, which um, yeah. I find quite useful right. for later reference. The, is, is the app bad too? I know the browser doesn't. Uh, no, no, it's not bad. It's just not. Uh, it has limitations. It has some limitations that the the Kindle app um, does not. Right. So I've looked at some other e-readers, and you know, there's again one of the reasons why people like Kindle. I don't have a Kindle per se, but it works really well. The app works really well. Mm-hmm. So you told me about one called Librera. It's really clunky and has way too many features. Okay, that's an application for you know for your smartphone just to, to read books or for your tablet. Librera. Mm-hmm. Um, there are um, there are others. I've looked into this on the the privacy interwebs and people have a couple of different recommendations they tend they say first of all uh, that a kindle can be perfectly fine um, if you don't use it connected to wi-fi but if you have it on a separate account and load it up through the computer so you have to make it a a lot more inconvenient in order to be able to make it work so it can recurring theme it can it can work um, but you have to uh, create a create a, a burner account for it and kind of go through some rigmarole. Um, a lot of people recommend Kobo because it's simply not plugged into so many different systems. Uh, and I've heard uh, the privacy uh, expert, uh, privacy techniques guy, uh, Michael Bazell, uh, recommend uh, something by called Books, B-O-O-X, mm-hmm. uh, which is an, e-tab- an e-paper Android tablet. So mm. um, it looks more like paper, but it's actually just an Android tablet. 
Mm. Um, but they've stripped it down, the operating system down, to where it's pretty minimal, and um, it has just some. Uh, but you can load anything you want from the the Play Store or from other uh, other stores. Right. So. There is still the issue of the accounts that you create, the way you buy the books, and the way you transfer them. So, like another thing, when I have not bought books from Amazon. Amazon, but gotten ebooks some other way. I often to get them onto my tablet, I save them to my free Google Drive, right? And then I can open them on my tablet and read them either in uh, Google Drive's own reader thing, or you can do Adobe Adobe Digital Digital Editions or um, iBooks or whatever. But then you know you're still being tracked from your right. account, so you would have right. to have a, a non-tracking account. Right. Actually, this all sort of started for me because there's a book I wanted to read that I just didn't really want to be following. And it's going to sound like really sketchy, or whatever, but I just didn't want this to be associated with me. And um, but then I realized that I'd like saved it as um, on my wish list on Amazon. And after I went to the trouble of like buying You've been doxxed. Well, you know, and like I went to the trouble of like going to the it's a small press. I asked them. You know, I, I'd like to not buy it from Amazon, but then I discovered I'd already saved it on my Amazon wish list, so I'm a moron. But anyway, it's just another one of those cases where every which way you're being tracked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the, there are, again, as we ha have explored, uh, my head is spinning, and I'm sure our listeners' heads are spinning like, ah, what am I supposed to do here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trapped. I'm, I'm like uh, trapped in every which way, and every which way you look is a, is a house of mirrors with them. Um, uh, reflections going on into infinity. How can we um, uh, extract ourselves from this labyrinth? Yeah. Well, these little acts of rebellion make me feel a little bit better. Um, but I think I would say one one pr practical thing. Um, uh, one practical thing to do is to um, simply buy paper books instead of e-books. And that would be one very. This is like using cash instead of using your credit card is one very very simple easy and not very expensive way to simply opt out of the whole tracking system. Just use physical objects rather than the digital objects. Yeah. Well, and if you can get them from a bookstore and pay cash, it's very much non-traceable. But yeah. I bet even if you can buy print books direct from publishers, there's a lot less tracking that goes on. Yeah. Well, especially point. if you have like a PO box and you use a privacy.com card, you know, there's nobody going to care it, that it, much. Yeah. If you, if, if you, you are concerned about that level of, yeah. of, of interference. Right. Um, the other thing, this is from the producer side, is that clearly you know this as a as a um, writer and somebody who, uh, who sells her own work, that it is not uh, easy necessarily to sell your own stuff or to promote it that way. I mean, they make it, and as a consumer, um, I find myself shying away from simply buying um, things outright because the, then I have to find out where do I put it, you know, um, where do I keep the notes? If I do highlight it, where do those notes go? Um, like there's a, a fragmentation of the system mm. that starts to happen at that point. And so uh, I don't have that solved yet. Even for uh, some other aspects of my work, I need to read things that are in PDF form and take notes. And I don't have a good system down for that. Um, and I, that's one nice thing that Am that Amazon has done with the Kindle whole Kindle reading experience has made that integrated. They've created a very coherent, um, s consistent reader experience that uh, is simply not, or it's less available outside. So, and you have to you have to take more control of it. So it's less convenient. Yep. Yeah. 
So oh. on the, from the producer side, if, if there could be solutions which would make it a lot easier, um, say, for example, everybody actually has a, a digital library that's like, you know, everything gets saved on a, you know, actual card and, you know, your stuff is here and, and you, you know, you can back it up somewhere. But like, if you keep it consistently in one place in a physical object, that something like that could be work towards making the experience less fragmentary. Yeah, I think the challenge is to find a really good uh, reader software because, as I, I've discovered, if you create EPUBs yourself as a like small producer, you can do them to the standard of a publisher, a big right. publisher, no problem whatsoever. The problem is really not the creation of the EPUB. The problem is on the side of a reader that makes the reading experience enjoyable. But I would think there'd be a lot. There must be a lot of competition out there besides what we've even yeah. discovered. So far, yeah. but it's also a matter of people going to the trouble of opting out of Amazon, finding other ways. And until publishers make it easy to buy their ebooks direct, there's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of disincentive. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, related to that, Audiobooks and Audible, which of course is Amazon's company, is super duper evil. And here's why: <laughs> this just this just came out very recently. Again, you can, as an an independent producer, upload audiobooks and sell them through Audible. Well, it turns out this is a such a big scandal. It's been called Audible Gate. That Audible created, and maybe if you're a subscriber, you know this: a no questions asked return policy. So, say you get your one credit a month, you can listen to, or you have been able to listen to your entire audiobook of the month and then return it and get your credit back and use it again. And there would be people who would listen to, you know, upwards of 30 audiobooks in a 30-day period by continually returning. Amazon will let you and do it up would, to a year after you've gotten yeah, a book which, for and, your credit and, back. Well, they, well, that's fine if Amazon takes the hit, but they don't. They dock the producer as if it's a non-sale. This is exactly what it was, is that means... Um, the creators of the audiobooks got not only got nothing for the book that was listened to in its entirety and then returned, but they weren't even informed it had happened. And what happened like two years ago or so, there was actually a glitch in Audible's accounting software and authors saw it for the first time. And then they started investigating and the whole thing blew open. So this, this is, I think, one of the big points of this choke point capitalism book is that it isn't that Amazon is just the Goliath who got big by producing a quality product. That is certainly part right. of it. But also by squeezing people down the chain who don't even know they're being squeezed. Right. So this was a way for Audible to uh, shore up its market dominance of audiobooks without anybody ever finding out because it simply didn't tell you that your book had been listened to in return. Yeah, well, and that's just stealing from you. Yes. And I just recently on another podcast heard some people talking about this, like one host told the other two, oh, you can just return your audiobooks. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. This has changed my life. Well, they're thinking of it like it's a subscription, right? I mean, this is exactly they're being duplicitous and they're treating it like it's a subscription. But on the back end, which is no, that's fine as long as if the author is getting paid the contractual amount for a listen, but it's probably somewhere in those those long list of terms and conditions. It's probably all written out, but we're just not getting what we signed up for. Right. Well, I think one of the huge problems is, yes, uh, subscription models like Spotify exist that we'll get to, but subscription models do not charge anywhere near enough to actually compensate the consumers. And the, the problem is the producers. The, the, sorry, the producers of what it, what is being right. consumed in the subscription model. And I think that this is actually one of the larger points of this choke point capitalism book is that um, monopoly has only been defined around the price to the consumer. And so that's where... Um, the 
people see it as consumers, they see prices go down. What they don't see is what pays for them instead. So this is kind of a larger economic question. But anyway, the point is, if you paid Audible for a credit for one audiobook, and what you got instead was a subscription model where you got to listen to 30 audiobooks, you should be asking yourself, why can I do this? Is Amazon taking the hit or is Amazon passing the hit along to someone else? Okay, you can tell I'm very exercised about this. <laughs> yes, I can tell. One last thing, and this relates back to the beginning about the surveillance thing. So it's not only you as a consumer that's being surveilled through Amazon, but all competitive sellers. And a lot of sellers of things besides books use Amazon because it is the major marketplace where people go to look for stuff. So um, here, let me just read this little bit here. Ebooks were a perfect fit for Amazon's extractive mindset because they cost us more in terms of privacy than physical titles ever could. Amazon knows what we search for, what we read, and what we listen to, when and for how long. This actionable market intelligence allows it to poach authors, market its own titles to readers, and cross-sell non-book items to readers. The combination of surveillance and vertical integration means that Amazon vastly outpowers both publishers and other retailers, cementing its dominance and giving it more opportunities to spy on readers. So this is specifically about books, but as the this goes on to document, it happens in all areas of commerce, which is basically Amazon, because it is the marketplace with the surveillance data, can monitor what is selling, mm. and then it can swoop in and offer that instead, right. and basically outbid or undersell its competitors. Right. So apparently this happens again and again. Someone opens up a marketplace specializing in, I don't know, yeah. like purple clothes for 12-year-old girls. And if it starts selling well, all of a sudden Amazon starts its own line of purple clothes for 12-year-old girls. They're doing market research. And when people search purple clothes for 12-year-old girls, they get Amazon's results, not the person who started it in the first place. So this is like, this is what people think capitalism is, but this is the exact opposite of a free market. (laughs) Yeah, well, again, it's harvesting the information uh, that people didn't know that they had. So in this case, the retailer of purple clothes is actually informing Amazon at the same time uh, of what works. Right. So a lot of the issues here related to just larger thinking about free markets is is access to intelligence. Right. And I, th- that is what is so incredibly unjust here, is right. the vast... Uh, well, I, yeah, it is, it's certainly unjust, and I think it's an example of uh, us as both consumers and producing not realizing the information that we had. And so um, now that we know this information, uh, we have something that we didn't have before, which is privacy and the right to assert it, or the, 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 the willingness and the energy to assert it, um, which... Um, should, uh, if we take uh, proactive um, steps, should limit the ability to to exploit us as much. Right. And that is why you should chop down the Amazon. Chop down the Amazon. <laughs>